Hi there, and welcome to Friends with Benefits, a podcast where we dive into the heartbeat of every successful organization, its people. I'm Alex Kostecki, your host and guide, as we talk to the country's leading employers about the intricate world of hiring, retaining, and creating exceptional workplaces. Today, we're talking to Swen Irvin, the Executive Director of HR at SF Unified School District. Swen tells us about how schools rely on their missional nature to hire effectively, the challenge government employers face with rising wage demand, and how helping employees with childcare can make a huge difference to them. Swen and I actually met at an HR Leaders Dinner a few weeks ago, and SFUSD educates about 50,000 children at a given time and employs, therefore, 10,000 workers across the Bay Area. Uh, Swen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Alex. So first, my favorite question, just like hearing a little bit about your background, where you grew up and where you got your first paycheck. Wow. Okay. Um, So I grew up in Gary, Indiana, which is a place that people either know because of Michael Jackson or the musical, The Music Man. Uh I prefer one of those stories over the other. (laughs) Um, I got my first paycheck actually from my school district. Oh, no way. Um, I was, yeah, I was hired in high school as a peer tutor. And so I think my junior year, I was tutoring uh, freshman and sophomore students in Spanish and history and English. Oh, nice. Um, and so I'd had, you know, some maybe under the under the table jobs before then. Yeah, but my first yeah. actual paycheck um, came from my school district. So I've, I've basically only worked in education. That's actually, yeah. that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Did you like that job? It was dope. I loved it. Um, Yeah, I did it my junior year and senior year. And it was great to get paid to talk about stuff that I liked and was interested in anyway. Already knew about. Yeah, I actually did a little bit of of tutoring uh, and like class teaching when I was a student as well, but Mm. somehow wasn't as good at explaining super simple stuff. So I had to stop. But (laughs) That's a sign of intelligence. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, so right. I was actually looking at your your background earlier. I mean, we we had talked about this last time, but uh, I was looking at your background earlier. And what was interesting is that you ended up actually studying advertising and marketing and mm-hmm. then going into, into schooling. So how did that sort of journey happen from obviously in first paycheck and tutoring, getting your studies and then going back into education? Yeah, I don't know that I ever thought I want to be a teacher. And I think everyone's been through the educational system. Mm -hmm. But very few kids realize the entire ecosphere that happens around a teacher. Mm -hmm. They just know this is the person who's standing in front of me that I'm supposed to be listening to. But there are custodians and electricians and paraeducators and uh, like a whole a whole host of people. And so I never thought I want to work in education because I don't really want to be a teacher. And so when I went to college and I'll say I had an interesting, somewhat fraught college experience, as as a lot of kids do, you know, asking at 17 year old, 17 years old, what do I want to do with my life? Right. Um, So I tried engineering. I tried management. I tried all these different things and I settled on advertising and public relations because I literally love commercials. Interesting. And so that was that was really my my main motivation and at that point after trying all these things my my parents were like you need to pick something because you cannot be in college forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I picked advertising. I loved it. I liked the classes that I had. So that's what I got my degree in. But immediately 
went to work for the university. So I went right back into education. So it was in me, it was in my bones, even though that's not what I got my bachelor's degree in. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but there are some HR folks who have the perception that like you do have to see the job market as like also selling and advertising a product. And so there might be some link there. But so what happened from there into getting into education? Was it like the idea of sort of civil service that really compelled you? Uh, is it just, you know, the general vibe you thought was interesting? Like what, what pulled you back in? It was, it was literally circumstance. So uh, if you look at the year that I graduated uh-huh. from college, a thing that happened my senior year of college was 9-11. And folks who were around during that time know that that triggered like a mini recession, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, the job market tanked. A lot of my friends that were in the same major as me who actually had offers on the table from wherever they interned at, a lot of those offers got revoked. Mm -hmm. And so the one place you could find a job was in higher ed because, you know, colleges and universities never stop. And so I ended up working for the university because that's where I could find a job. So I'm not going to say it was a huge strategic move. Interesting. I was a 20, I was 22 years old. I needed to feed myself. And I couldn't move back home. And so so within weeks of getting my degree from Purdue, I was working for Purdue. Interesting. Obviously, it's been 22 years now and you're still there. What do you think is kind of keeping you there? I'm sure there's a bunch of companies that are trying to pull in a senior HR person. Yeah, um, I would say that I've never been interested in helping someone else make money or someone else get rich. Um, And I think for lots of people who work in education or any similar field, whether it's healthcare or whatever it is, we do it because of the mission. We do it because of the people that we get to support. And the great thing about education is that in, in the most ideal state, you get to see the return on your investment in people, mm-hmm. not in capital. Yeah. Um, and so that is the thing that has kept me working in education for all these years is, you know, I'm hoping I'm doing some good in the world for the future. Yeah. I think uh, that seems to apply to like a lot of the people we talk to just in general in both healthcare and, and civil service. It's obviously kind of combined with the fact that like the pay wouldn't be the same as, as in a bank. Mm-hmm. Is it like a common narrative that, you know, we're all here because of the mission and you know, something that's really top of mind for people? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the reality is working in human resources, I could literally do that anywhere. Right. Right. So the reason that I'm choosing to do it where I'm choosing to do it is because of the service to my community, service to young people. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, in recruiting teachers and recruiting school lunchroom helpers and recruiting anybody that we're trying to bring into the district, that's a huge selling point. Yeah. Is do you want do you want a job that you can feel good about when you go home at night? Yeah. Um, and feel like you made a difference. Yeah. I was going to ask uh, exactly that question, actually. How does that translate in the dialogue with, you know, specifically new hires, right? Like the job market's mm-hmm. pretty tight right now. Obviously, you can't just throw money at everybody. What is the what is the the narrative that you used in order to, to get people to kind of see that quality of the of the industry you're in? So I think I think there's a couple of things. Being part of government employment definitely has, in a general sense, a level of security to it. Um, And I think given the volatility, especially that we're seeing in the Bay Area, where, you know, even Fortune 100 companies are 
laying people off. A thing that's never going away is the city government. Mm-hmm. The thing that's not going away is the school district. It may it may grow, expand, it may contract, but there's going to be public schools in the city and county of San Francisco. We also have pretty great health benefits. And so the the total compensation, I think, is can be a draw for folks. Um, we don't have like 401ks, but, you know, for teachers, for civil service employees, we do have pensions. Mm-hmm. And because we also work in an educational system, there are other savings plans, uh, 403Bs and 457 plans that people who work in education have access to. So there are, you know, it's possible that you can have two retirement savings accounts going yeah. simultaneously, which is definitely a draw. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah. though, because like, that's a lot to explain to someone in the short amount of time mm-hmm. you have to to convince someone to take a job do you yeah. feel like people sort of get all of that or is it you know more of an emotional decision when they end up working for SFUSD I think it depends on who you're talking to. Right. Um, for folks who are young and like fresh out of college and just looking for their first gig, I think it's definitely more of an emotional decision. For folks who are coming in and they've got a fa- they're married or they have a family, they're usually using their their logical brain to make those calls. And you know, again, the value that we offer uh, for the cost that we offer it is really competitive, and I yeah. think that that also helps. In terms of essentially like where the labor market's been at, I mean, obviously there's been some wage growth and uh, unemployment is, is still super tight. How has that affected the way your team has been working over the past uh, couple of years, maybe even since COVID? Yeah, I mean, in in full truthfulness, it, it is difficult to attract um, attract talent right now. Um, we have been talking in in the education space about a teacher shortage uh, for over a decade, mm. um, and it is it is certainly in the post COVID atmosphere been fully realized. There, you know, there are teacher vacancies at you know, every school district, I think, in in the Bay Area um, because of the cost of living and because there are just fewer people going through a teacher credentialing programs. Yeah. I mean, that amount of, of open roles, I don't know how many open roles you guys have at SFUSD. Uh, we have about 900. 900 for 10,000 employees. That's, that's like yeah. a good 9% of the roles unfilled. Um, how right. does that sort of translate into the way the school is operating and your dialogue with the people leading operations? I think it's it's a very kind of hand, all hands on deck mentality uh, right now. People are doing work that may not necessarily be fully within their job description, but it needs to get done. So in those cases, you have, you know superintendents teaching classes or teachers cleaning up spaces, you know, people are just doing what they need to do to make sure the kids are supported. Um, and that, and that the schools stay open and continue to operate. Um, the challenge can be that because a lot of this work in education is what we call heart work, uh, right? That people are willing to do that until their head kicks in, right? right? And they're like, wait a minute, I'm doing things that I shouldn't have to do, right? And so it's definitely about walking that fine line and making sure that we support people in doing the hard work, but we don't take advantage of their willingness to support. 
For sure, for sure. I mean, the whole idea of hard work is, I think, embodied in civil service. It's like you wouldn't do hard work for for a bank, right? You would do it for the right. school. Yeah. Uh, so, it's yeah. an interesting heart if you're doing hard work for a bank. I mean, I'm sure there's some people, but uh, yeah. but but yeah. Let, just switching gears for a second about you know finances, money. I'm going to take a super macro view for a second. Consumer confidence since the COVID days has literally gone down. The cost of a gallon of gas has gone up, but like people are less, they're less sure of themselves from a financial perspective today than they were those two years ago. Um, And like the labor market's still super tight. There's been some growth in wages, but there's, you know, there's starting to be kind of a a head on force between the labor market and, and, uh, and those, those providing jobs. How do you see that translate in, in what you've done over the past few years uh, at SFUSD and what are you starting to take away and what's changing? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, for years, we've been talking about how in education, you know, teachers don't get paid uh, well enough to Mm. buy a home or to feed their families. A lot of teachers around the country have like second or third jobs or they're, they're driving Uber, you know, all evening after they finish a full day of teaching, right? And so what is, has been very clear to me since COVID is you're seeing, right, movements all over the country with labor, whether it's, you know, GM or it's the actors and writers in LA, um, waves of labor actions going on. And and certainly when, when we met, actually, SFUSD was in the middle of you know union negotiations remember and so i think at the end of the day it's it's a good thing people need to be paid a living wage and as it's certainly in one of the most expensive cities in the world you know it's interesting because if we if i told a teacher in like you know rural mississippi what teachers in san francisco make they would go crazy mm-hmm. but if I also told that teacher in rural Mississippi what a house costs in San Francisco, they would also go crazy, right? It, it is interesting sitting in a, an HR seat because it, in general, I'm pro-labor, right? Like as the son of a steel worker and a librarian, being part of unions is something that I absolutely grew up with. And so it's interesting now to be on the other side of the table mm-hmm. as management. But I still support the overall move of the people who support our kids need to be able to continue to do that and pay is a huge component of it. Right. And if only if only just having a voice through the union process. Right. Right. Uh, how, are, how are any of these discussions affecting SFUSD? You know, is the organization able to keep up with the required uh, you know, salary increases, all that kind of stuff? Or are you seeing that it's a challenge? Um, keeping up with the salary is absolutely a challenge. I mean, I think one of the big things that we are hampered by in San Francisco is that it is, it's a city of renters. Mm -hmm. Renters don't pay property tax, which means the school district doesn't get the money Mm. because like renters don't contribute to school district revenue Mm -hmm. only homeowners do who pay property taxes Mm -hmm. and so the reality is that because of the way that the tax revenues are set up there's not a lot of money to go around and so given the number of people we have and given how much those individual people have to be paid in this 
environment. Um, but not only the cost of pay, but the cost of everything. Yeah. You know, I, I think people people don't think about every school has electricity, right? right. So every school has a PG&E bill. <laughs> you know, it's just like every school has a has water fountains mm-hmm. and sinks and toilets so that every school has a water bill, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you think about all those things and how much all those things cost just for your apartment or your house. Mm-hmm. And then you you expand that exponentially to cover, like I said earlier, almost 200 buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, when you think about the the staff at SFUSD and how they um, they're facing those challenges, like how are you guys able to help? We talked about other programs. Sure. Like, what do you think is really making a difference here? Um, I think I think that it's a struggle to make a significant difference for that many people mm-hmm. with the resources that we we have at our disposal, and especially because any school district, what resources they have go to kids first. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I certainly think that there could be a conversation about whether that's right or wrong, good or bad, but any school superintendent is going to say, how can we get the money as close to a kid as possible mm-hmm. first? And then we figure out what happens with the, the grownups after that, right? Mm-hmm. I think there are small things that are happening here and there, you know, like even... You know, earlier this year, everybody got a masterclass subscription um, to, to, you know, try to get some individual learning or at least something that you you enjoy or are interested in outside of work. We're in the process of um, opening our first um, educator housing mm-hmm. project Amazing. Um, out on the west side of the city. So we're getting close to opening up the applications to have folks moving in over the spring and summer. So those are those are some of the things. But again, like, you know, that that's generally a a fairly small group of people. It's not something that will will absolutely impact all 10,000. Yes. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, there's definitely some challenges there for sure. And there are challenges that I'm sure every school district is experiencing in the country. Yeah, I, I can totally imagine. Just maybe on a on a last note on this topic, like what would you ideally be able to do uh, in in terms of like you know providing another benefit to your teachers that they're actually using to be able to to make a difference here? What's what's kind of like your little wish list? I would love um, maybe I'll start with non teachers first. Yeah, one thing I would love to do is for our para educators, like classroom aides, to have a pension. I think that would really, mm. really benefit them. Um, I would love to offer more money towards either professional development or education. Um, I think, you know, pretty much all of our teachers have at least one degree, if not a degree and a master's. Mm-hmm. But in this space, in education spaces, having higher education is still something that is valued. And a lot of people may want to go back to get more education um, and just can't afford it or don't want to assume the the huge debt that, that goes along with it. So I think giving more support uh, in that way would be great. You know, I would love for us to be able to do more to support our employees with children. Uh, with child care, child care subsidies or, or whatever that looks like, because the cost of child care is just astronomical mm-hmm. um, and it and it creates a lot of um, stress 
for right. our employees. Um, having to teach your children while also trying to figure out what they're doing with their own children. Um, and who do you have more of a responsibility to? Mm. And that goes back to a whole historical thing that we certainly don't have time to, to rabbit hole. But, um, but yeah, I think, um, I think those are like three areas that I, I wish if, if I had unlimited money, that's where I would start. Absolutely. I love those. I think those are, those are really interesting. So that's what we've got time for today. Swen. uh, we covered a lot of really good stuff. Um, thanks so much for joining us and thanks for all the great work you guys are doing over at the SFUSD. Thank you. Thanks. It's been great to talk to you. Friends with Benefits is brought to you by Claire, the world's first bank account that you can connect to your job. With Claire, employees increase their financial safety net by up to $1,500 and earn interest on their wages before they've even been paid. Employers who offer Claire see their staff stay longer and lead healthier financial lives. 